Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. We talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today we are going to talk about 10 questions to ask at your church this week. I know, Pastor Aaron, you've talked about the critical nature of church, how important it is right now. And we've always wanted people to come to church with a, a selfless attitude. And I think it was a few months ago you posted this this uh, article or this, this uh, social media image of 10 questions to ask. And this is just really to help us think introspectively, to reflect on why do we come to church and what happens at church to make sure that the essential things are happening. And so I'm going to just go through some of these questions and I'd love to hear some feedback. So the first question you put out was, did I show up? Yeah. So that's pretty basic, right? Um, We need to commit ourselves to regularly participating in the body of Christ, which is the church. So just like in marriage, you're not going to have a great marriage if you only see your wife once every few weeks, if you only hang out with your kids couple times a month. Sadly, in the Western world, now this has been corrected a little bit as of late, but sadly in the Western world, a lot of people only go to church like one or two times a month and they consider themselves regular attenders. And that really is robbing God of the glory that is due his name as God's people gather. It's a violation of Hebrews 10.25, of course, which calls God's people to meet together regularly. But you're also robbing yourself of the spiritual blessing and the spiritual nutrition that you need when you participate in the spiritual life, in the worship life, in the sacramental life of the Christian church. So it's really important that we create a holy habit. We all have habits. It's really important to create a holy habit of being consistent at Christian worship, attending church, participating in church is probably a better way of putting it because you're not just passively taking in, but you're also putting out. Really, really important. So if you want to grow in your spiritual walk, it's critically important that you participate in the life of the church. Of course, because so many churches have been closed due to lockdowns and all that, uh, what we've seen is people that sometimes aren't as consistent, all of a sudden are very consistent because they realize, I can't take this for granted. And others have unfortunately stayed home. Shame on you if you're still home. You need to get your butt out to church. You need to participate in the life of the Christian church. If you've been at home for 18 months, stop sucking your thumb, stop living in fear, grab hold of the resurrection hope that you have in Christ and get out there and serve the people of God and worship him with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's my admonition to you as straight up as I can give it. (laughs) Amen. Now, I know over the years we've talked about coming to church, how often and whatnot. Um, So to give people an idea, like, is there an acceptable time? Like when you're camping, do you go to church on a Sunday? What what do you do personally? Yes, you should drive home. <laughs> you, should, you should drive home. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So what, what we've always done as a family is, uh, you know, we believe that the Lord has called us to set aside one day out of seven to focus on worship. And so we're in church every week. Now, we're not in church if we're sick, throwing up or something. Uh, if we are out of town, we make every effort to... Uh, be with our fellow believers. So we typically would attend another church or for not, not within proximity, we would have like a, a service. So let's say we're camping or something and there's a church half an hour away. We'll typically jump in the vehicle and go and participate in that church for the week. But if we can't do that, then we, uh, you know, we'd have for at the cottage or whatever, we would have a, a service. Um, but what, what we never do is just pretend like it's Friday or pretend mm-hmm. like it's Tuesday and do nothing. Well said. Okay. The second one you have on here, did I serve or was I just served? Yeah. So what we want to be very careful about is not making church a spectator sport where people just come to consume, to receive. I remember years ago being so saddened talking to a, an associate pastor at another church. And he said, you know what? When we're in staff meetings, our senior pastor refers to the people in the church as customers or clients. And the idea was, is that they sort of saw themselves as proprietors of faith, I guess. They just put on a show or put on a service and people just come and spectate. Now, I get it. In a typical Christian worship service, you're going to have a limited number of people leading the music, 
leading in the celebration of the ordinances, leading in preaching. Okay, I get that. Not everybody's a greeter. Not everybody's a guitar player, et cetera. Not everybody's a preacher. So there is a certain there's a certain sense in which parts of the service you're more more or less receiving. You're being fed. You're you're uh, playing the role of the student or the recipient. But in the in the life of the church, there's a lot of ways you can serve too. So for example, by showing up early. And just being hospitable to the proverbial stranger, building friendships, relationships, praying with people before the service, after the service, serving as a greeter, serving in kids ministry, serving if you're gifted, if you're gifted, mm-hmm. on the worship team or the music team. These are ways for us to to get connected. And then, of course, a lot of churches have opportunities during the week, too. So don't make the mistake of just coming and spectating, of sitting, of observing. That's... um not healthy for you because you have spiritual gifts that the gathered church needs to experience. And it also can, can um, create a bit of a critical spirit because you're always evaluating what other people are doing. You're always looking at their performance and you're not necessarily pouring out. So to use an analogy from the home, generally everybody's not in there cooking the meal, right? You have the people that are best at it cooking the meal. In our case, it would definitely be my wife, not me. And maybe my son and daughters would be next. My other two sons, I wouldn't let him anywhere near it. But um, we all participate in some way in the, in the life of the family. Some cook, some clean, some wash dishes, some cut grass. It's not the same. There's times when we're being served. There's other times when we're serving. But in the big picture, we all have to be, uh, church life should be give and take just like any other healthy relationship. So make sure that if you're in church, you are serving in your church. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an ex- expectation we've built around here, even through simple and subtle language, like maybe not so subtle language, like uh, we use the term ministry partner for people at our church. Can you maybe explain that? So membership in the church, we believe that a person should identify with a local body of believers, an assembly of believers. But we we typically call that ministry partnership. So what we want to do is like membership. If you say we have official church membership, that sounds a little passive to us. So a person can be just have, have the notion I'm a member because my name's on a list someplace. So we say ministry partnership. We're doing ministry in partnership with others. So when you become a quote unquote member, we say you become a ministry partner. You're serving in ministry partnership with the rest of us. So right out of the gates, what we're trying to do is instill upon new people that this isn't us just asking you to put your name on a list and attend. You need to serve. And I'm blessed when you serve, just like hopefully you're blessed when I serve. Mm -hmm. Now, I know too how much of a blessing serving is in the church just to feel part of something as well. Uh, And many people who have said, I didn't feel very welcomed or connected often have never actually even served in the church. Yeah, it certainly charges your battery, which is, I think, surprising to people. We think, oh, if I, I'm going to serve, it's going to drain my battery. Like, it's just another thing I got to do. Well, that will happen if you're serving in an area you're not gifted for. But service, if, if the Lord, let's say the Lord has gifted you as a teacher and you just don't teach. I think your battery is going to get drained or you're going to get frustrated or stagnate. But when you're, when you're, teaching, yeah, you're burning calories, you're investing time, but you feel like you are being used of by the Lord. And that is an encouraging thing. It kind of recharges your battery and enables you to um, understand that you are a vital part to this community of faith, this, this spiritual body called the Christian church. Awesome. Okay. This next uh, question you have, or yeah, it's very similar in some ways. Did I give or was I just given to? What do you mean by that? Yeah. So every church rises and falls based upon the input of God's people. So we talk, just to help people to remember this, we talk about the three T's in our church. So we we input our time, we input our talents, we input our treasures. So we give of our time to serve. We give of our um, talents, so our spiritual gifts, and also just our, our learned talents. And then we also give of our money to the work of the ministry. And when everybody contributes their time, their talents, and their treasures, their three T's, it's great. Everybody benefits. Everybody's blessed by that. Some folks, let's take the, the area of financial stewardship, for example. They're like, well, I don't have much to give, so I, don't, I just kind of come and, you know, when I'm in need, I ask. 
but otherwise I don't contribute. Um, that's, that's not cool. That's not Krishna. That's not a godly perspective. Uh, we all are called, whether we have our two mites to offer or our $2,000 to offer, we are called to contribute time, talents, and treasures to the work of the ministry. So make sure that as you assess and evaluate your life, and hopefully you're the kind of person that does assess and evaluate your life, that's why you're listening to this podcast, because you're a student, you're a learner, you're evaluating, am I giving as much as I'm receiving? So make sure that you're giving input into the life of the church. Um, your talents, there's some folks in our churches that are just, they're incredibly talented people. They, they, they know things I haven't even thought about. And it's such a blessing when we have people come in and they're like, hey, you know what? I have musical talents or uh, art, the talents of an artist or organizational talents or talents in the area of um, economics. And they can use those talents in addition to their spiritual gifts to benefit and bless the the body of Christ uh, in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. Now, this next one uh, goes in line with the idea of what we call being a vertical church. Uh, and it's this, this question, was Jesus' name lifted high? So what I'm thinking about there is there's a tendency to um, try to steal glory from God. We call them glory hogs. All of us have that in us to different degrees, and hopefully that's being weeded out as we progress in our sanctification. We, we like to get attention, right, on different levels. Some people are like super obvious about it. Some are more subtle. Some some have really matured in that area, and it's not a besetting sin. But we people are very, uh, by nature and, and apart from Christ's work in our lives, we are, we're very selfish. And that can show up in ministry as well, where people are looking for positions and opportunities. I've had people... I mean, it's not very often that people are this bold, but I've had people sort of insinuate like, well, why haven't I been selected for a leadership role? Why, why haven't I? And when I hear people fishing for compliments or fishing for position, I generally think to myself that that's why. That's why right there. Because you, you, you want it uh, too bad. You want it too much and not necessarily in a godly way. And oftentimes folks that are wanting that are newer to the church or aren't serving in other areas, or they think, well, I've served in A, B, and C ministry, so I want to be rewarded with an eldership role or whatever it might be. And that's when the you know the yellow flags, if not the red flags, go up in my mind. We don't want to ever rob God of glory. So in the life of your church, you want to come in and give glory to God. And in your worship and in your preaching, you need to ask, is, is my church lifting high the name of Jesus? Or are they just sort of feeding out, you know, the how-tos of successful living? I, I don't want to spend the majority of this podcast just sort of trash-talking other churches. But one of the problems with, for example, the, the historic seeker-sensitive movement on uh, First of all, people don't seek after God, read Romans 3, so there's a problem with the language. But the idea of seeker-sensitive, which is where we, we do church, everything we do in the church is for the sake of appealing to or appeasing or keeping the attention of lost people. Well, lost people theologically don't even really know what they need yet. So if you allow their perceived needs to dictate and determine the nature of worship— it's going to be, it's not going to take too long before you're not actually even worshiping anymore. So we as Christian leaders, we know what people need because we've encountered Christ. You know, we're like the the beggars that have found bread. We're the thirsty people that have found the well. We know what people want and we need to help people to see what they want because we know what they need. So um, when we do Christian worship and we lead people in you know a life of the church, um, we can't just like preach to felt needs. We can't make the mistake of, of just trying to get people back for another week. I mean, we don't need to be unnecessarily rude or put things in our worship that are distracting that unbelievers are going to be like, I have no idea what that's about. Um, we're not making them sing in Latin, for example, when they don't know Latin. Um, but ultimately, we want, to, we want to display to the world and to our fellow parishioners that we're we are, have come together as God's people to exalt and lift high the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we talk about Jesus. We preach Jesus. We preach the cross. We talk about him as the solution, the savior, the Messiah of the world. We treat his, we don't treat his name 
lightly. So this is where we, we often say in our church, and you can pick whatever language you want, we're vertical. We, it's instead of pointing people to themselves or to others as the ultimate source of their hope and freedom, we want to point people to Christ. So we want to be far more sensitive to Jesus than we do want to the quote unquote seeker. Well said. And that ties in next with this next question on was the Bible actually preached or was it just used? Okay, so this is this is pretty critical. Um we have the word of God at our disposal, all 66 books of the Bible. It's inerrant, it's infallible, it's inspired, it's the word of God. Within it is life, liberty, freedom, instruction. It's incredible that we have this special revelation from God that He's given to us. And we want to treat it properly. And within that book, there is life, liberty, and freedom, and, all, and instruction, all those things I just rattled off. Well, sometimes I get this vibe that creatures are a little apologetic to other creatures, what the creator has said. Like they're almost, you almost get this vibe that pastors are, you know, maybe a little mildly embarrassed at what the creator, the God of the universe has said in his word. And so we tend to, uh, some guys tend to use the Bible as like a springboard, I would say. Picture like a diving board. You get on the diving board, you bounce up and down, you jump into the water. And then you swim around, you 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 do laps, you play games, water polo, whatever you're going to play. And, um, or for you, synchronized swimming. I know you're a big <laughs> yeah. fan of synchronized swimming, Chris. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the the diving board just kind of gets you into the pool and then you do whatever you're wanting to do. Well, that's not how the Bible should be used. So you, I've been to churches where you get the preacher and he opens the Bible and he reads a verse and it's almost, he doesn't necessarily physically do this, but it's almost like he just closes it and sets it aside. And then the rest of his talk is just whatever various and sundry thoughts happen to cross his mind. So a lot of guys will take like a phrase, like it's a new day and they'll just create a whole monologue based upon it's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new day for this and a new day for that. And it's all inspiring and sounds very like almost new agey. You know, you could read this kind of stuff in Deepak Chopra's work or listen to a Joel Osteen sermon or whatever. And it's, it's, it feels good and it's not necessarily false, but it's not biblical. It's at grounded. It's not hitched to scripture. Uh, we need to develop more expository preachers. So the, and by the way, this is the easiest way to preach. So oftentimes when I preach, people say, man, I've never heard preaching like that before. It's so biblical. I'm like, yeah, but it's easy. Once you get used to expository preaching, it's easy. I don't have to make things up. You open the text, you read the text, you explain the meaning of the text. You offer application and insight into the text and you challenge people to put it into practice. And there's different structures you can use to get that across, but that is how we preach the word of God. So we want to see people's heads up, down, up, down, up, down, not meaning that they're just nodding in agreement, but they're looking at the preacher and then they're looking at the Bible and they're looking at the preacher and they're looking at the Bible. And you're actually even teaching people how to study the Bible by the way you preach the Bible. You say, hey, look at that word. Did you see that word? Hey, notice that there's three words in here. They're all synonyms. Hey, let me tell you about the meaning of this phrase, or let me just give you a quick little background into what was going on with, let's say, Paul or Luke or whatever, and the circumstances they were addressing to help you. So you 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 add these little observations into your sermon to help people learn to actually study the Bible. So go to a church that actually, this is your eureka moment, preaches the Bible, and you will be blessed by that. And uh, unfortunately, it's kind of sad. Some Christians have never experienced that mm -hmm. and they don't even know what they're missing. Mm -hmm. And then they hear it and it's like, what in the world have I been doing for the last 20 or 30 years? Why has no one preached the Bible to me? They suddenly realize it was sort of biblical-esque or biblical-like, but it wasn't actually biblical preaching, right? So let's let's make sure that we have a high regard for God's word and actually Attend churches, participate in churches that preach the God's word. By the way, cover to cover, all of it, none of it's out of bounds, even the hard parts. Um, I mean, you should be suspicious of a pastor that's always just trying to preach the hard stuff because he likes controversy or whatnot. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, some weeks are going to be a little more encouraging. Some weeks are going to be like a slap in the side of the head. Some weeks are going to be very 
informative. Some weeks are going to be very, you know, practical. That's fine. But let the text lead uh, people to the application that God intended. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah, I think we have seen a dramatic impact by preaching the Bible. And me as a, a younger preacher has found it gives the structure, the materials there. Yep. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. it uh, is very, very helpful. Yeah. Okay, this next question, this is going to need some explaining. Did God manifest his presence and power? All right. So we believe that God is everywhere, right? So mm-hmm. one of the immutable uh, characteristics or attributes of God is that God is omnipotent, meaning he is all powerful and he is omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere present. Most Christians know that, right? So he's, he's all powerful. He's all present. So in a certain sense, you know, you and I are sitting in this little studio here at the church. And if I say, Hey, Chris, is God in this room? Right. You're like, well, yeah, you know, God is present with his people and he indwells us and on and on and on. So we would never suggest that God is like absent from our lives or absent from the room or that his power is less powerful one day or, or, you know, more powerful another day. But if you read scripture, this God who is all powerful and all present sometimes puts his power on display or his presence on display in a way whereby it's more obvious. So let's talk about his, his presence and power in the burning bush. It's like, when Moses saw the burning bush, well, and God is like in the bush and his power is being displayed and there's some communication going on. One could ask, well, wasn't God in the bush before it lit on fire? Wasn't God, uh, wasn't God as powerful as fire before the bush, bush actually caught on fire? Yes. And we got to be careful, by the way, because we're not just, we don't want to have a, a view of God just in terms of his spatial presence, right? Because mm-hmm. God is also outside of time and space. But in order to accommodate our human minds, we can think of it as God is present spatially. God is present powerfully. And he always is, but to, sometimes he displays it. It's like, okay, now that's obvious to me. Or, you know, God is is sustaining the universe by the power of his word. So our metabolisms, our brain functions, our organ functions are actually ultimately being um, sustained by the presence and power of God. But let's say we got cancer. And people, the people of God are praying for healing, 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 and God does a, a miracle and he heals that person. Well, it's not that God wasn't healing or sustaining before, but now it's obvious because like his, his healing, sustaining, life-giving presence is like, wow, now it's there in front of me. So I'm, I'm giving these illustrations, uh, the lion's den, you know, God did a, did a miracle there. He shut the lion's mouths, the fiery furnace, he manifested you know, the pre-incarnate Christ manifested his presence in the, in the fiery furnace. He uh, manifested his presence in resurrecting the eternal son from the grave. So we never want to suggest that God isn't present or powerful all the time, but God manifests his presence and power at key junctures. And when God's people gather there is something special and blessed, blessed that happens there where we, we want to come in anticipating that God will manifest his presence and his power, not necessarily through signs and wonders or, you know, a, f- a flash of light in the ceiling or something like that, or, you know, gold dust falling from the rafters. But we, we want to have an encounter as God's people. And it is a spiritual encounter. Minimally, it's a spiritual encounter where we have this sense that we've gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we and God has fed us in a way that is special and obvious. He's nourished our souls. There's been like a maybe a, a wave of conviction that's been felt among God's people or a wave of encouragement or uh, an, an insight from the proclamation of God's word that steadies us in the storms of life. And we, we anticipate that when we gather, that God will, as we faithfully prepared to lead God's people in worship and we faithfully showed up and we faithfully come to serve and faithfully come to give, that God will honor that. And there is a blessing that comes when God's people gather in his name. And so that's what we mean when we talk about God manifesting his presence and power in the Christian church. I'll give you like one very 
small but significant example of this. Um, you know, when when you preach God's word, so I'm a preacher. I'm not a worship leader. My kids are, but I'm I'm a preacher and I preach regularly. So when you're preaching, you know, you're thinking about the text and you're kind of mulling it over and you want to make sure you have a pretty good understanding of it. And then you're sort of communicating it out to the people of God. But because I love people and I've been doing this for a long time, I'm always sort of thinking about, sometimes I'm con- it's more conscious, sometimes it's more subconscious. I'm thinking about how people will receive what I am saying. What will be, I'm like anticipating, what would be, is there anything I'm saying that will be unclear? Is there anything I'm saying that will be misunderstood? Is there anything I'm saying whereby they'll start throwing up mental objections? And I'm sort of anticipating those because I, I know a lot of people. I'm a person myself. I've counseled a lot of people. I'm anticipating what those objections might be. And I'm preaching the word into their lives, into their circumstances as, as best as I can understand it. But I'm not preaching like a sniper to one person. I'm preaching kind of with a shotgun, like to the whole audience. But it's super awesome. It's super encouraging. Whenever once in a while someone kind of comes up to you and tongue in cheek says, were you like, did you mic or bug my apartment this week? Because what you were saying is exactly what I've been thinking. How'd you know that? Well, I, I guessed because what you're thinking or feeling is what most people are thinking or feeling because people are people are people. And I've, I want to preach into your circumstances. So I, you know, if I'm, if I'm preaching the text and I'm making application, I'm thinking, what, what are some things that I think people are struggling with or thinking about, or what are some, some of the objections? And now the Lord goes before me and the Lord is the one that ultimately, um, you know, drives the arrow home or, or whatever he chooses to do. His word will never return void. The Bible says so. That I would say is where God's presence in the gathered church, where I'm, I showed up, you showed up, I'm the preacher, you're the listener, I've done my work, you're doing your work by listening and responding, and God kind of brings that together. And there's a sense in which there's a, a, a coming together of our spirits, you know, where we're like, yeah, the Lord is working in us. He's working through me. He's working in you. And, and we kind of know that, you know, we just kind of know that, mm-hmm. so. Very neat. Um, another question you have here, number seven, did I reach out to a stranger? One of the qualifications of eldership, which is often not emphasized, is hospitality. So elders are to be hospitable. And hospitable is not inviting your best buddy, your brother-in-law over for, you know, coffee and crumpets, you know, af- after church necessarily. That's not a bad thing to do, although I'm not sure we've ever eaten a crumpet, but they sound <laughs> like I was thinking wings or something, <laughs> yeah. but you know, okay, crumpets yeah. is beer and wings or whatever, right? Um, so um, we often think of hospitality as just having people over for dinner, just hanging out, you know, in the back porch or patio. But biblically, hospitality is fundamentally showing hospitality to this proverbial stranger. So when people come into church, they're often lonely, they're disconnected, they're out of sorts. Um, and we, we approach them and we engage in ministry with them. We minister to their needs. We ask questions. We, are, we're, we manifest the presence of Christ, the, the love of Christ to that person, and we speak truth into their lives. That's biblical hospitality. So that's a qualification of an elder. And it also is a virtue that all Christians on some level should pursue. So there's nothing sadder than the new person, the proverbial stranger standing in the church foyer, looking around and everyone else is in their little holy huddles and clicks, chitty chatting with people they already know. So real important when we come into church, whether you're introverted or extroverted, and there's an old rule, used to be called the 510 link rule. I don't know if it's fully true, but it kind of is helpful to think about. Newcomers typically aren't going to be there much more than about five minutes before the service and 10 minutes after. That's your window of time to link up with them. So the 510 link rule, we say to our leaders and people here, look, don't be chatting with people you know a few minutes before the service or a few minutes after. Go meet some new folks. Hey, what's your name? And it's not even, if you're in a bigger church like ours, it's not even a great thing to say. 
is this your first time here? Because yeah. right? they might have been here 10 times and you just saw them. So then it's almost like offensive. Like you didn't notice them 10 times. Or like five years and you're like, how did yeah. I not meet you? Yeah. <laughs> I remember we had a young guy who'd come into membership ministry partnership at our church. He'd maybe been in the church for a year and he asked a lady coming in, oh, are you new here? She's like, I've been here since the beginning, like 15, 20 years or something, right? I guess it would have been less than 20 because we just had our 20th anniversary this yep. Sunday, which is super cool. But um, going around and just asking like, hey, how long have you been here? Hey, what's your name? Um, hey, have I met you before? Hey, how'd you hear about us? You know, these are all good conversation starters. And then if you sense the person is, you know, open, willing to chat, then, you know, tell me your story or can I pray for you or whatever it might be. This is like hospitality. Is there a way I can meet your needs? Hey, you want to get together for coffee this week? Whatever it might be. So um, some people, so for, okay, I'll just say this. This is easy for me because I'm an extrovert. I have, I have no problem. I've never looked at a new person. Oh, what am I going to say? Uh, should I go chat with them? I love that. I love that interaction. I love trying to remember people's names. I, I try to do a good job of that. I love meeting new folks. I want them to feel welcome and loved. I love that. For others, I know it's like, oh, oh man, I don't know what to say. Uh, look, develop a skill set. And the Lord, the Lord will use introverts and extroverts. The Lord will use quieter folks, more gregarious folks to reach, you know, it takes all kinds of people to reach all kinds of people, right? So um, don't make the mistake of just going to church. Oh, who, who said hi to me? You know, it's like the person that leaves the church. Well, I left because no one said hi to me. Oh, really? How many people did you say hi to? Yeah. So having that out, outward focus and right now, I mean, you, you know, in our church, we have new people every week, but right now we have a lot of new people every week because most churches, unfortunately, are still closed or in full compliance or whatever. So I've said to our elders and staff as recently as, you know, this week, I was talking to the elders about this the other night and the staff, I don't know if it was this week or last week, but- um, I think it was this week. Uh, don't be hanging out with your people right after the service. Go chat with new folks. Go be hospitable. And then your church structures, by the way, if you're interested in church structures, having people in the parking lot that greet and meet and help people park, having greeters at the front door, greeters at the door to your auditoriums, greeters welcoming people at the door to your Sunday school classrooms, people that will say goodbye to you. Setting up people, lots of greeters, lots of friendly faces, lots of smiles, lots of, hey, how's it going? That's all part of creating a culture in a church that says we love people and we don't want the proverbial stranger to feel that they were a second-class citizen or ignored. Mm -hmm. Okay. I love this one. Did I pray or did I just listen to prayers? I know you bring this up often when you're praying and uh, maybe you'll yeah. share what you say. Sure. Well, um, I'm not sure if you're like this, but I actually prefer to pray than to listen to other people pray. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I do good in your role. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I, I am fascinated at times. So if I'm in a prayer group and I li I'm listening to other people pray, I find it interesting because it helps me to hear what's going on in their heart. So that's good. But I do like to pray. I'm a verbal person. I want to pray. So what I often say to people when I'm leading in prayer uh, in a service is, hey, don't, don't leave me standing up here by myself. I'm going to lead us in prayer. But as I'm praying, why don't you pray along with me? It doesn't have to be out loud. If we've um, you know, dedicated a group of babies, if we have just had a baptism, if you know, we're We've just talked about a particular incident in the life of our church. You could say something as a worship leader, a pastor, like, okay, I'm in a, I'm going to lead us in a blanket prayer for, for all these people, but I want you just to, just to identify one person in your mind. And as I'm praying, just pray for that person specifically. Mm -hmm. So this is, this fosters corporate prayer and it also mitigate again, mitigates against this notion of, um, you know, just the professionals can pray, just the Reverend doctor can pray, you know, just the, the, the pastor can pray or, um, we're just listening into him praying. We want to invite people to actually pray to the Lord uh, in in our services, in our ministries. And then if we're doing um, small groups, you know, we often go around, we pray in groups, we break up in groups, or we have the men meet for prayer by themselves, and the women meet for prayer by themselves. But you want to be inviting people into the prayer life of the church, you know, as well as prayer meetings and all those sorts of things that facilitate corporate prayer. 
Now, just as a question, uh, pastoral pastor to pastor, as you're praying corporately, um, do you pray very mindful of the people that are listening to your prayers as you're talking to God? Because sometimes it's hard to, who's your audience in your prayer? Well, ultimately it's always God, but you're also thinking about the people you're praying in front of. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. So prayer is pedagogical, meaning that prayer is a teaching tool. Uh, The disciples actually, Lord said to Jesus, teach us to pray. So prayer is a teaching tool. It communicates truth. We have written prayers in the Bible that we can actually preach from, right? Mm -hmm. So prayer is a preaching tool. It can be a preaching teaching tool. So when we pray, the the structure of our prayer, um, like the sequence of our prayer, how we sort of unpack it, uh, what we pray, the language we use uh, is important. So in prayer, Oftentimes in a prayer that pers- that comes after a sermon or a teaching session, uh, I think it's very appropriate to almost um, reiterate the thesis of your, your sermon. So, Lord, today we've learned that and help us, Lord, too. And then you can also remind people of application. Lord, we, we want you to convict us so that we might live holy lives in accordance with your will as you've heard in your word today, and we can actually just kind of say it again. So prayer, prayer is not just uh, you know a mini sermon after the sermon. I'm not suggesting that, but we we can sort of buttress the message or the theme with our prayer. Um, so it's kind of both and, but in many respects, I would say, Chris, that preaching is kind of like that too, where when I'm preaching, I am literally doing two things. I'm preaching to myself and to the people that are listening in to my listeners. So in some ways, you know, I've, I've jokingly said before, Hey, thanks for letting me preach this to myself today. Mm -hmm. I needed it. So I want to preach to myself as I'm preaching to God's people, because that's real. I want it to come alive in my own heart, mind, and soul, even to a greater degree than it did when I was preparing it. And the same with prayer. So I, I think that, um, you know, whether you're leading people in prayer, preaching or song, you are cognizant of both your own need to be fed, uh, how people are listening to what you say and, and also your ultimate audience, which is God and what he thinks about your um, conduct and worship. Hmm. Well said, that's helpful. Uh, Okay. Number nine, did I bring my Bible? Now, do you mean your electronic Bible or paper Bible? Do you have a preference? I prefer papyrus. Papyrus. Yes. Your scrolls. (laughs) Please bring your your scrolls to church. We have long aisles. You can just roll them out and find your way down the Isaiah scroll or whatever. (laughs) Um, By the way, it is kind of funny, right? If you think about um, this debate over electronic Bibles and paper Bibles, well, there's been other quote unquote kinds of Bibles throughout time um, whereby well, first of all, there was prophetic utterance where the word of God was just passed on orally before it was written. And then we have the word of God written on woven reeds and vellum, you know, leather and, and parchment and these sorts of things in later times. And now we have paper and now we have electronic. So um, I I do like something you can grab onto. Uh, I do read the Bible off my phone quite regularly. But in church, uh, I'm not going to be legalistic about it, but in church, um, whether it's your electronic Bible or paper Bible, I, I really think it's valuable for people to have it with them. So when I planted this church 20 years ago, I did want to reach lost unchurched people for Christ. And I didn't want to have a sign out front that said, hey, if you're going to come here, bring a Bible, right? And this is the version we're using. That's not... That's not cool. So what I what I historically have done is the main text that I'm preaching from, I, let's say I divide it up into three or four sections or whatever, I will bring that up on the screen while I'm preaching that portion of the text. Now, the upside of that is the whole congregation can see it on the screen. They can see me reading it for them. And people that don't have a Bible, have even thought about it, don't even know how to find their way around a Bible, I don't have to pause and say, hey, uh, you know, let's turn in our Bibles too. You know, like when I was a kid, preachers would always do that. They use up a lot of their preaching time giving instructions. 
Turn in your Bible to John chapter 4, verse 18. They'd say it like that. Yeah. Then they'd say it again. John That's chapter, John chapter 4, <laughs> verse 18. And they'd pause and everyone's flipping their pages. And I will commence reading with John chapter 4, verse 18, right? And okay, so now you've just lost whatever, 30 seconds, 60 seconds of valuable preaching time. Now, having it on the screen then is uh, being a conscientious missionary, to the people that are in your congregation, those that don't know Christ, don't have a Bible, whatever. The downside is mature believers can just say, oh, I don't need to bring my Bible. The pastor just always puts the verses up on the mm -hmm. screen. So I often don't include my supplementary scriptures. If I'm in a cross-reference, I don't put them up because I'm like, I want them to feel they, they kind of got ripped off. Oh, I didn't bring my Bible, right? I want them to feel like, oh, I should have brought my Bible. Ah, oh, now I can't look that up myself. Or I say to people, bring your Bible, like bring your B-I-B-L-E with you. I, I do like a paper Bible for this reason, um, writing notes in the margins, kind of thumbing back and forth. Uh, it depends on the lighting though in the room. So we don't have a lot of, we don't, we don't have any windows. Ours is controlled lighting in our worship center. So it might be harder to read. We, we do tend to bring the lights up a bit during the preaching. That can be a problem. The, the, uh, the downside to electronic Bibles is people can start playing around with their phones. Oh, I'm going to go cross check this. And then all of a sudden they're on Facebook or whatever. Right. So there's, there needs to be some discipline there, but bring your Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've been a Christian for a little bit, uh, bring your Bible and you will learn to find your way around. Uh, the preacher will help you to explore your Bible. You know, sometimes we, we don't do this kind of stuff every week, but every once in a while I might just say, Hey, you know, um, we're going to look at the Bible for those of you that may be newer to all of this. You know, the Bible is composed of what we call the Hebrew scriptures or the old covenant or the older covenant. And then we have the newer covenant and there's 39 books here and 27 here. And, uh, you know, the first book in is in, in the new Testament is Matthew and there, you know, there's four gospels. You might kind of give people a little bit of instruction mm -hmm. and it may not be directly relevant to what you're going to preach, but you are kind of piquing their interest, piquing their ab, their their um, uh, yeah, I guess their interest, and helping them to understand how the Bible actually works, right? How it's divided up, how it's organized, how to find your way around chapters, verses, that kind of thing. Um, so that's important. I mean, if you're just preaching to people that all have their MDivs and all are Bible scholars, you can skip all that. You know, and just start reading straight from the Greek, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, you know, most growing churches are going to have a whole spectrum mm -hmm. of people in it. And so you, you um, maybe this is a little bit of a sidebar, but as a pastor, you need to preach in such a way that gives instruction to, you know, the, the gray haired man who may have pastored a church himself and you know, has sat in church for 40, 50 years and who knows his Bible well, you need to instruct and exhort and encourage him. And you also need to preach in such a way that some guy that just stumbled in off the street that week that knows next to nothing also has the opportunity to hear the word of God in his language in a way that's understandable. Mm -hmm. Very, very important. I know this is even carried through in subtleties when you're preaching, you have a Bible in your hand preaching. I know you could use an iPad, Sure. Got the scripture. Uh, I'm it, not but. into that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not into that. I mean, I, I don't even like PowerPoint, you know, yeah. like when I teach, okay. And this is, by the way, I'm just going to throw this out. Just something to think about. Not going to be dogmatic about it. When I teach or preach. So I've taught in Bible college. I've taught in seminary. I've taught in Sunday school classes, Bible institutes, churches, seminars, conferences, et cetera. Unless they force me, I never bring a PowerPoint, right? I don't. Why? Well, it takes time to develop. I have done them, okay, but I generally don't because I want words to be the drama. I want to force myself to communicate better and better and better, not using visuals and pictures and all that kind of stuff, video clips, but to, to capture my listeners with my words, I want doctrine to be the drama, not the picture on the screen. I want the word of God, the, the, the turn of the phrase to be compelling and captivating and interesting to people. And so I, you know, I try to work on my body language and voice tone and all that sort of thing. And we're all, we all have our little verbal glitches and things we're improving on. But I, I think some guys 
kind of hit their ceiling unnecessarily in terms of their communication ability to be able to articulate and unpack biblical concepts because they're always, they're, they're like distracted by ter- the next slide, the next slide, the, 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 the PowerPoint. So uh, if you're, if you're like a, I have a buddy who's has his doctorate in like educational theory, he would probably very much disagree with what I'm mm-hmm. saying because he's like, no, you got to hit the ears, the eyes, you know, the kinesthetic learner. I get that. Like, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but um, just kind of raw, unpacked, unfiltered, biblical teaching, learning to do that well is a blessing. And part of that is I got my Bible in my hand. I'm holding on to it. I've got my notes, you know, stuffed in the middle. And it is a visual uh, comfort and depiction to God's people that our pastor is actually holding on to God's word. Doesn't have a screen. You know, he could be flipping through his iPhone. Or reading his, Facebook posts. And reading <laughs> Facebook posts. I don't know. <laughs> somebody, else, somebody else's sermon. <laughs> yeah. Watching a movie. <laughs> reading the subtitles, watching the body language of another sermon. Yeah. <laughs> no. A teleprompter. Okay. Yeah. yeah, true. Those are, those are hard to use and it sounds genuine, but this is not teleprompted, just so you know. <laughs> okay. Final question. Was I convicted or just entertained or condemned? I want to make a critical distinction for folks. This is really, really, really important. Conviction and condemnation are not the same word. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, right? It goes on because of what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by sinful man. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering for us and so forth. So we, when we preach uh, to Christian people, okay, we don't want to preach in such a way that they feel they've been condemned, that they're not good enough, that they just, they're just total abject failures, that there's no grace. It's just barking of rules and legalistic protocols. So, um, and by the way, I've been in churches, especially when I was a child, where you always get that vibe. It's fascinating that it's usually the churches that have the highest view of God's grace that are often the least gracious. The gospel is clear in words, but you get this vibe. It's like, I just feel like I was damned again this week in church, you know, and then I was damned again and damned again. Instead of reminding us of our responsibilities and our freedom and value in Christ. And yeah, like challenging us and all that, but I don't want to feel like I'm still on my way to hell when I'm on my way to heaven. So when we preach the word of God to the people of God, we don't preach to condemn them. Now on the other side of the spectrum, we don't preach to entertain them. That's not to say that we don't work at our communication structures and strategies so that they're interesting and compelling, but we don't work to entertain them. So it's, I, I, I know of a guy who he actually took comedic training because he's like, I got to have more comedy in my sermon, right? And I think it kind of worked, but you'd leave remembering his jokes, but there wasn't really much that edified you. Um, so some guys, uh, I, I get the vibe that they're more interested in entertaining or being liked or you know looking cool or whatever it might be. Uh, than actually instructing and exhorting and equipping God's people for the work of the ministry, which happens in part through the preaching of the word. What we want to aim for is conviction. Conviction is not condemnation. Conviction motivates. Conviction corrects. Conviction moves us forward. Condemnation moves us backward. Entertainment moves us nowhere. But conviction moves us forward. So I want, now, it's not that every single week you're going to be under like this profound conviction, you know, though, but there's, there should always be some conviction there. Like, um, yeah, like I want to, Lord, I want to increase my prayer life or I want to be more forgiving of my spouse or I want to be, you know, whatever it might be, you're, you're being convicted. Like, it's like, I'm going to go for this. Like, I, I, I feel this, um, uh, I, I've heard the word of God. I have clarity now, or even just a reminder, because you don't always preach for, to give people a new thought. Sometimes you preach it to remind them of something they already know. 
I'm going to go out there and live differently or talk differently or act differently or spend differently or respond differently or whatever the, the, the text, wherever the text leads us. That's conviction. And conviction, conviction comes from instruction. So we instruct people not to make them feel like you terrible person, right? Get out of here. You're not good enough. But we, we, preach to convict in order that it might be equipped to change and to become more like Christ. The reason why I think conviction should be there pretty much every week is because um, none of us have been fully sanctified. And it doesn't mean I'm only going to be convicted, right? I could also be just very much encouraged, like uh, affirmed. Wow, I thought I was on the right path and now I know I'm on the right path. So it could just be a real message of affirmation and encouragement. But I, I want to be challenged, right? Like you don't, the job of a coach, you like hockey, baseball, football, whatever. The job of a coach is not, hey guys, we're going to have a, a team chat. You're all perfect. I don't, I don't have anything to think of. I don't have anything to say that could possibly make this team better. You're just great. Just keep running the plays. You're not going to get that. You're going to get a coach that's like, hey, you guys, well done, well done. Or you guys are terrible in that area. Smarten up. But here's some new plays. Here's some territory to take. Here's how I want you to change. And the word of God functions in that way as well. So we we do want people to feel convicted in order that they might be equipped to do the work of the ministry and to move forward in their spiritual journey. So we often remind people of that. We're not here to condemn. We're here to convict. If you don't know Jesus, you're condemned already. And uh, so that's where that we preach the gospel into that, right? So we don't have to preach to condemn them further. They're already condemned. But we do need to remind them of uh, eternal judgment and 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 the uh, consequences of sin and the need to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is the sin bearer, who died in our place on our behalf, is the penal substitutionary atone, atonement for our sin. And it's only through personal faith in him alone that a person can be spiritually reborn and inherit eternal life. So that's been 10 questions to ask at your church this week. As you noticed, uh, there was not questions about, was the coffee great? Was the, uh, yeah. the music perfect <laughs> for my tastes and whatnot? This is kind of pushing you back to what's most important about being part of your church, being part of the church. And so thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you sharing those. You're welcome. Um, just a reminder to our listeners, we're heard on CJXC Radio, Canada's Constant Christian Companion, and you probably know by now, 11 Tuesdays and rebroadcast 11 p.m. Thursdays. Also that we are on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network and on their app and download that app at the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network website or in the, uh, the uh, Google Play Store or Apple Store. Uh, and you can find other great podcasts from across North America and even a, a couple of solid Canadian ones in there uh, that you'll want to take a listen to. So make sure to subscribe and uh, to rate it, share it, and tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. Mm -hmm.